the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You ever stop to consider whether or not you really are saved? I think many Christians have those doubting moments. The mark of the Christian is what we'll look at next. Join us. I believe, help my unbelief. The true Christian will at times wonder whether or not we are saved. It's just a part of our life. Sin does that to us. It tends to cloud our view and our vision of God. And whether or not God really is faithful to say and do what he says he promises he would do. Today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard will take us to John 13, verses 31 through 34. The Mark of the Christian. Some help coming your way today on assessing where you stand with God. Here's Pastor Phil. Turn, if you will, to John 13 as we continue looking at the Upper Room Discourse. Today we want to look at the Mark of the Christian. Let me begin at verse 31. When he was gone, that is Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. I think he refers to this because he sees the cross is now being implemented. Judas is on his way, and the whole cross and his death for us That is the glory that I think he's saying, now what I came to do is about to be done. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, this scares them to death. In verse 36, he's going to tell them, you can't come now, but you can come later. So he eases some of their pain. Verse 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We want to look at what the mark of the Christian is all about. Francis Schaeffer mentions he wrote a chapter in one of his books called The Mark of a Christian. And he talked about the various things people have done through the ages to show that they're believers. Uh, They've dressed different. They've cut their hair different. They've worn lapel signs. They've worn crosses around their necks. They've gone to all kinds of uh, effort to 
so that they are really believers. Christ gave a universal badge of identity of who his people are. They're not people who wear chains. They're not people who look weird. And they're not people who've changed a dress code. They're people who love like Christ loved. The universal badge of identity. Tennyson wrote some great lines, maybe the most memorable lines he ever wrote. His dear friend, Arthur Hallam, had passed away due to death. And uh, when Tennyson got word of this and they lost this beloved friend, he wrote the words, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." Great words. What is love, anyway? What is love? An entire culture. We've got more things coming at us. What is love? It's very interesting that our God has never used sex to portray his love. Even when his son came and became a man, he never married and he never entered into human sexuality, which God created to be blessed. But God never has used sex to show his love. Yet the oriental gods of the ancient Near East were all sex gods. Tied to fertility, fertility of the land, fertility of the womb, and on and on. But our God, who gave us the gift of sexuality, has never used that medium to display his love. He has chosen other ways to show it. What is love anyway? An ad was run in a uh, rural New York paper that said this. Farmer, age 38, wishes to meet woman about 30 who owns tractor. Please enclose picture of tractor. What is love anyway? Is it a John Deere tractor that belongs to a woman? Well, the Greeks had a variety of words that enabled them to be more specific when they said, I love you. You know, a kid can come home and say, I love baseball, I love peanut butter, butter and I love mom. Uh, there's no distinction there. And maybe he loves peanut butter more than his mother, but who knows? It's very, uh, we don't know what love is. A one-night stand, sex, lust, everything's love. But if there's so much love, why is there so much divorce? Why is there so much killing? Why are we in such evil times? No, uh, it's, it's very ambiguous. The Greeks had four words for love. The first one was eros, physical love, sexual love. A word that's never used in the Bible. We're never told. I think God just assumes that's a normal part of humanity, love, marriage, but never commands it. It's just, but it's one of their Greek words for it. They use the word storke. Uh, it's a long A sound. That last word, E, there's like an A. And they had storke, which was family love, the love of kin, the love of children. If you ever want to read a great book on these four loves, read uh, C.S. Lewis's book called Four Loves. It's a remarkable treatment of these words. Family love, love of one's kin. 
Someone says you get to pick your friends, you inherit your family. You didn't get to pick your family. And uh, one day Rich Rollins said to his dad, says, you better be glad I didn't get to pick you. Teenage years. And his dad said, you better be glad we didn't pick you. We would have sent you back. <laughs> we just took what came. We inherit family. We choose friends. But this word storke was family love. Then we come to this word phileo. We get the word phileo, Adelphos, Philadelphia, the love of brethren, the city of brotherly love. And phileo uh, was a word of uh, to like. It was the word of pleasure. It was the word used for friendship. That we make friends with those we find pleasure in. And uh, mutual uh, reciprocal interest. And so the word for friendship was the word phileo. I have a liking to you. Uh, you bring me pleasure. We have common interests. Common maybe personalities or bents, whatever. But it was the word of friendship. Then the Greeks had the word agape that had been around when the New Testament was written. They had the word, but with the coming of Christ and the writing of the New Testament, this word seemed to be singled out of all other words to uh, encapsulate divine love. And it's loaded with new content by the writings of the New Testament. So when we talk about an agape love, we're going to talk about that love that's characteristic of Christ, of God the Father, and the love that ought to be going on between us. And we'll look at five characteristics of that love, but let's first of all look about at this new commandment. Look at this new commandment. What's new about it? What's new about the new commandment? He told them to love their neighbors themselves in Leviticus 19. But this, listen to what he says. A new command I give you, love one another. The focus of this love is not a racial love. Love fellow Jews. It's not a love on anything but love fellow believers universally. One of the marks of my people is they will love Christians anywhere. It won't matter what their race is, their gender is. It will not matter even about labels. If they're truly a child of God, you are to love one another, fellow believers. This is the mark. And this is a command I give to my children. Now, when he said love one another, he's going to go on and qualify how they're to love. Focus on one another. But then he goes on to the measure of this love is, how do I love? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Strong. There doesn't seem any, to be many loopholes here. You must. I command. What if I don't want to? You don't want to. Maybe if I had any excuses, that's all right. Go ahead. You just violate the verse. There's no loopholes. You must love as I have loved you. And how has he loved them? We have to qualify it for us. They were in the room. They saw him take the towel. They saw him leave the supper, stoop, washing their feet, loving Judas to the end, giving him a preferred place, 
washing the feet of men that were failing, denying, and bail out. They knew unmistakably that God, the Son, had stooped to meet their needs and had loved them up to the last night he was on this earth. To the uttermost, to the end, he gave until he had no more to give. They knew exactly, and when John wrote this, he knew with that love as I have loved you. The standard for loving is none other than Jesus Christ. It's not the weakest saint. It's not your mother, your father, nor your preacher. It's Christ. He's the standard. I love this passage. I'm not the standard. I'm measured by the same standard as you. Because our greatest failures are really failures to love as Christ's love. Love as I have loved you. What will the effect of this love be? This is new. This is brand new. He said... By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you win all arguments. Or you're always right. I want to read to you what Francis Schaeffer said. Francis Schaeffer says, it is a command with a condition. I command you to love one another and if you do it, The effect of it on the world will be remarkable. They'll say, you must know Christ. The greatest evangelistic tool you have is your love for fellow believers. It's why the enemy loves to get the saints at each other's throats. It's why he loves to break up our homes. It's why he loves to destroy churches. Because the devil's crowd is laughing. This is what they want us to become a part of? No thanks. When Christians aren't loving one another, the world's got their greatest excuse for why you shouldn't belong. They're no better than us. But when they see a loving community, see one thing the world doesn't have is this kind of love working among them. They fuss and fight about everything. There's no glue to hold them together. They fight over gender. They fight over race. They fight over economics. They fight over anything. And all of a sudden they can see before them in this dying culture a community of saints of all races, of all economic strata, of all genders. They come together. See how they love one another. And a watching world will accuse us of being Christians. And if they don't see it, they will accuse us of not being Christians. Francis Schaeffer writes, It is possible to be a Christian without showing the mark. But if we expect non-Christians to know that we are Christians, we must show the mark. John writes when he's 90 years of age, 30 years after this, in 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Jesus is saying that if I do not have the love I should have towards all other Christians, the world has the right to make the judgment that I am not a Christian. You might be a Christian, 
But the unsaved world that's looking on, they will say you're not a Christian. And they have a right to, according to Christ. You and I have to find observable ways in which a man that is satanically blinded to the gospel has never had his eyes open to the good news in Christ, who's never gone to seminary, never learned Greek or Hebrew, he must be able to see such a love that he says, you must be a follower of Christ. And what is the proof? I see how you people love each other. When one's sick, you visit. When one is broke, you are helped. You pray for one another. You prefer one another. You weep over one another. You go out of your way for one another. It's none of this fried preacher for dinner on Sunday stuff. I've seen people who fry preachers and are always critical of the church. You know what they do? They ruin their kids. Because their kid says, you're not very sold on it. I don't want anything that you spit up every Sunday afternoon. The people you work around know how you feel about this church and fellow believers. And according to Christ, he says, if you'll love as I've loved, they will pick up a visible demonstration without being a theologian or a Christian. They can figure out if you love one another. What's five characteristics of Christian love? Let's look at five characteristics. And then we're going to move to 1 John, where John develops this love more fully. And he just, as he writes in his little epistle of 1 John, we want to look at other characteristics. But five things you can always think of when you think of God's kind of love. What's it like? Number one, the, the source of the love is the magic to it. God loves out of himself, not because people are lovable. God loves people that are unlovable. And so the source of this love is found in God himself. And when he saves you, you have the divine source to love people, not because they're lovely, not because they haven't hurt you, disappointed you. Uh, Any human being is going to disappoint you ultimately. Because we're a frail race flawed and full of faults. And the church said, Amen. Thank you, wives, for letting us do that. We are flawed. Who are we kidding? Church becomes the greatest charade in the world. We wear masks that we're all together. Let's just quit lying. When you walk through that door, you didn't quit having faults. And you're not a hypocrite to be here because you can't went to church because you've got faults. I'm not a hypocrite to go to the doctor when I'm sick. You don't see me at Kaiser and say, why you hypocrite? What are you doing here? I said, I need help. You know what? I came to church today and I'm shouting, I need help. I need God to help me in everything. You're not a hypocrite to be here. But we get this worldly thing. You've got to have it all together to come. No, what the world must see is you loving one another. Other people of similar faults as your own. A guy told me one day, he says, Why is it I cannot stand in others what I tolerate in myself? 
It's what you do with your kids. You can't stand it in the kid and they learned it from the old man. But it's okay if it's the old man, huh? You feel comfortable being that cranky and being such a bear. And then you say, now boy, don't you act that way. This is my privilege. Pretty soon we beget people that act just like us and then we can't stand them. God is creating a family that loves just like him. This love, the source of it, is found in God. The quality of God's love, it's unconditional. Uh, It is not bestowed upon the worthy, but the unworthy. When we were at our worst, it says we did this wedding yesterday. It was so moving to me because I know the story of this couple. That God found them at their worst to save them. And as this lady has told the story to me numerous times, even on my own request, how when a gal takes a bottle of wine and some pills and a Bible and says, God, help me if you will, and God stoops to rescue her. Friend, God's love is unconditional. Her only condition was she cried. Her only condition was she was a sinner. Her only condition is, I need a Savior. That's the only condition she can meet. It's the only ones any of us can meet. The goal of God's love is always the benefit of the one loved. God doesn't love us for what he gets out of it. He does get something. He gets a redeemed people. But he didn't need us. The Trinity was doing fine before we ever got saved. God didn't create human beings out of necessity. They weren't frustrated as the triune Godhead. He did it for his good pleasure. To show his glory and to display mercy. And he had to have somebody fallen to show mercy. So he let us fall that he could rescue us. An amazing concept. The evidence of God's love is not sweet, syrupy words. It's action. He sent his son to die a criminal's death. That's active love. Love will never be passive. Love is never passive. Love initiates. Love gets involved. It does not do this. And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. He got involved with the man's broken condition. He put him on his animal, took him to an inn, poured oil and wine, while the other two religionists only observed and went by on the other side. God says, my love gets involved in people's hurts. Anything else is just sweet sentimentality or passivity. God's never, his love in us will never be passive. And the extent of divine love is it will love to the point of sacrifice. You know, I I read the Bible and uh, see verses like, love your wives, men. Love your wives. And I say, I'll empty the trash. Well, if I wasn't married, I'd probably empty the trash. Would you? But I like to empty the trash. Say, I'm sacrificing for you. She says, no, there's just garbage in it. You don't want to smell it. But it's a lot easier to empty the trash than to die for her. I'm told to be willing to die for her. Have any of you ever heard of that? It's in Ephesians 5. Christ said, I'm willing to die for my friends. This love, its greatest display, is what it's willing to do for who it loves. 
It's willing to die even, even sacrifice. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time together today, if this broadcast and this ministry encourages you in your walk with Christ, and you happen to be looking for a church that does just that, we would invite you to contact valleybible.org. Pastor Phil is Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and while he is no longer in the pulpit, we are still very much a part of this church body. And we would invite you to come and join us for worship. For more information, again, valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name.